This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the hosting provider I use for devchat.tv. I also use it for my applications that manage the RSS feeds, scheduling, and sponsorships involved in delivering these shows. DigitalOcean is easy to use, has data centers all over the world, and provides terrific services including server hosting and object storage for delivering your web applications and assets quickly and easily. I use DigitalOcean because I love their interface. I get SSD storage for my servers and their support replies quickly. So go check them out at digitalocean.com. Hey everybody and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week we're talking to Fred Zerdung. I hope I said that something close to correct. Yep, you got it right. Said Fred Zerdung. Now uh, you were on F76 of JavaScript Jabber, which was quite a long time ago, talking about mm-hmm. Meteor JS. Uh, which uh, that whole movement has uh, undergone some changes as well, uh, the whole meteor. Yeah. Thing. But, uh, yeah, anyway, we we got you on to talk about uh, what you're doing and how you got into coding and, and all of that stuff. Do you want to just give a brief introduction before we get too far into that, though? Yeah, absolutely. Let's just see. We'll start from now, and I'll work, work my way backwards a little bit. Well, currently, I am head of curriculum at Hack Reactor, one of the coding schools here in San Francisco. I do. Uh, I, I essentially build all the tools and, and learning materials for the students as they go through a class. I'm also the lead instructor here, so I do a lot of the teaching as well, primarily lecturing, but I also visit students in the computer lab, station to station, and see how they're reacting to some of the new curriculum that I launch. I've been here uh, about five years. I haven't been teaching the whole time, but the majority of the time that I have been the teacher. And prior to that, I worked at a number of companies, uh, both small and large. The largest company that I worked at was Walmart Labs. As you know, Walmart is mm-hmm. the one of the biggest companies in the world, 2.2 million employees. So it was an interesting place to work. And I've worked at tiny startups where I was employee number five. So I had my fair share of experiences. It's been It's been a fun time. Awesome. Now, when you worked for Walmart, did you work in Arkansas or? I worked in here in California in the San Bruno office. Okay. I just Mm -hmm. didn't know where they were all set up at. Yeah. Walmart Labs was actually an acquisition from Bay Area company that then got integrated into the rest of Walmart.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and go jump in the Wayback Machine and talk about how you got into coding. Okay. Sounds fun. I have been coding professionally now for, I would say, I guess post, if you, if you start post college, I don't want to date myself too much, but I, I guess I've been programming for about 20 years now, a little over 20 years professionally. And then, uh, but you know, so that's, I graduated college around 24, 25. And so prior to that, I've been coding also for probably 10 years prior to that on a regular basis. And then prior to that, I dabbled in it. So I started coding, uh, my first, my first introduction to programming was with the logo programming language uh-huh. in, in sixth grade. That's, that's when I got into it. That was yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. I remember that with a little turtle. Yeah, the little turtle on these computers, these ancient computers, they were called, I think the operating system was called QNX, QNX, and uh-huh. uh, they had little monochrome screens and little click yeah. keyboards, and uh, I'd sit there after class and make the turtle draw all kinds of things, and I remember having this little notebook where I would write out my, my programs that I designed, that, nice. that I'd come up with. Yeah, That's wish awesome. I still had that notepad. So was programming then something that you always knew you were interested in or is it something that you came back around to later on? Well, in the early days, I, I was always interested in computers. My, I mean, my dad got me interested in computers back then. Computers weren't so prolific. They were more of a, a luxury item that only 
few people had in their homes. And in fact, the, the main computers that people exist that existed back then were things like the Atari 2600 and like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you remember the Intellivision that was like the other alternative game console. It was, it was, it's kind of like the, the nerdy game console, the, uh-huh. the one that like the, the Atari was sort of like the mainstream one that everyone had. And the Intellivision was the like a little more featureful, uh, more sophisticated games, but like did not, it was like the beta of the VCR world, right? The Betabacks. <laughs> yep. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, so it was a fun, but it, it was a general purpose computer. You could do all kinds of stuff on it, but like nobody really did it, used it for anything other than games, and eventually it died out. And then there were some other computers that lived that sort of existed back then, Tandy and then a couple of other ones. So like they were, they were, it was um, not that common for people to have computers. And then my friends had them. A few Commodore sixty four was another one that was really popular, and I think that was another one where I, I tried to get into programming, but. Going from logo to assembly language is like a big jump. Yeah, and I and I just didn't get it. I, I couldn't wrap my head around it, and so I I kind of lost interest in them for a little while. And then in high school, I got back into it using basic programming language, and that's when I really dove into it and really got into basic programming. And then um, so I went into basic programming, but then nothing. It didn't really click for me. Programming didn't really click for me until I uh, in in like high school. Probably, I think when I was 16 or 17, I happened to take this electronics class on computer. And one of the modules was electronics and how computers worked. And they had these little tiny, super simple computers. And I learned assembly language on it. It had literally 25 instructions. And that's when it all clicked. I finally got it. I finally really understood what it meant to, to program a computer. And that that's when I was hooked. At that point, I was like totally hooked on it. Yeah. It's interesting because, uh, you know, your experience uh, parallels mine in a lot of ways. You know, I, I think you're a little bit older than I am, but not a lot older than I am. But yeah, you know, I, I was doing Logo in school. I, I kind of played with it. I didn't do a whole lot of basic, but when I got into high school, Ed, the web was starting to get big. This was in the, the mid to late 90s. And mm-hmm. uh, I took an electronics class and we were we were actually putting the byte codes in uh, on pins on <laughs> the side mm-hmm. of the 88 chip. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was like, oh, oh, that's, that's how that works. And, oh, I need the values out of that register. And yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, I I see what it's doing. And, uh, yeah, getting into the, the, getting into the microarchitecture of the CPU is what really helped me understand how computers work and, and yeah, understanding registers and the program counter and the stack and the, yeah, and memory and fetching and all that other stuff was really great. Yeah, for me, the web started to become a thing in yeah early '90s. I was in college at that time when the web first came out, and I remember the Mosaic web browser was mm-hmm. the. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you remember that one. It it crashed all the time. Yeah. 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 And I remember running on a Sun Microsystems Spark workstation. <laughs> that's what we had. That, that's what we had in college. Yep. Oh, the good old days. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. So in college, were you doing uh, software then too? Were you a computer science major or something else? A little. I did not go into computer science. I actually did a computer engineering degree, which is essentially a double E with uh, emphasis on computers. So instead of instead of doing all the sort of like uh, uh, power and and RF stuff, I did software and computer architecture, and, and that's like that's really another area, another moment in time that really got me solidified on the sort of computer front. Yeah. Yeah. I have a computer engineering degree as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, <laughs> I remember, uh, you know, designing chips and writing, uh, 
VSDL and yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. For a while there, I, I kind of thought maybe uh, maybe chip design was my thing, and I did a little bit of it in college. And um, so I went to I went to a school called University of Waterloo in Canada, and um, it's uh, it's it's a it's a unique program. It's not so unique anymore. There's a lot of copycat programs that are like it, but it uh, essentially it alternated between a semester of school and a semester of work, and it was a requirement oh, of the program that you that you had to do these work terms. Like you couldn't just like not do them. You couldn't graduate without a minimum of five work terms. So, um, what, what, what happens though is like, uh, when you graduate, you've got essentially what amounts to two years of work experience, which gives you a leg up oh, yeah. in the job market. You know, like people want to hire people with work experience, not straight out of college with no work experience. So from that perspective it was great. And, um, the, the school has a very streamlined process where, you know, they have uh, employee, they have a very regimented process where they they have to have job postings by a certain date, and then there's interviews, and then they have matches and all this stuff. And um, I ended up the way I ended up in California is that I wanted to I ended up working for a chip company. I, I thought that's what I wanted to do. I went to work for Cypress Semiconductor, and uh, on two internships while I was here, and I just fell in love with California and ended up moving back here to take a software job when I graduated from college. So, what was it that appealed to you about software over hardware then? Oh, yeah, the hardware was cool to be like, so the thing that appealed to me about hardware was like, was working with these tiny, uh, you know, transistors that you know were so small that, you know, you, you can't even imagine how small they are. But when it, when it came down to it, I started working with, with actual chips, doing testing and debugging. And, I, and I was just, it was so frustrating that once you, if you found a bug that was like a showstopper bug, that was it for that whole line of like yep. testing that you had to do. You had to wait till the next one was fabricated for you, which when in chip design is like a three week process to get another one fabricated. And it's not cheap. Like you know, you have to you have to test it exhaustively and find all the bugs, fix all the bugs that you can find, and then you can do a rev two, which might end up being like a six month cycle of like finding bugs until you get the next version, and then you got to do it all over again. And maybe after about a year of testing and debugging, you finally have a working chip. And um, and this is true even on on board level circuitry when you're doing, and, and you know you're sim, you do simulations and whatnot, and you try and get your simulations right, but ultimately the real hardware is what tells you whether it's working or not. And um, I just did not that cycle that long six month cycle just did not was not satisfying for me. I needed more immediate feedback uh, to be satisfied with my work. So I turned my attention back to software. And initially I did embedded systems software, which itself was, uh, um, kept my interest for a while. It was cool to be able to manipulate hardware and bits and, and do all that kind of fun stuff. But the web is really what, what sparked my, uh, creativity and sort of like drive for software. I really loved software once I discovered web programming. Nice. How did you get into web programming? So I was working at a company called Dolby Laboratories, the sound company at the time. They were the they were the company that I came to work for straight out of college. And um, uh, when I first started working for them, I was doing embedded software <clears throat> on one of their flagship products. And um, they were trying to get into new business spaces, and they had adopted a new platform that was um, web centric and uh, Linux based. Instead of using these proprietary OSs, we started moving to open source Linux. And um, uh, some of my early pro- web programming was all done in Java. And um, even then, I was like, even with Java, I was like, pretty fascinated with it. But then once I got into the more open source uh, technologies that are prolific today, that's, uh, that's when I really started to, to love web programming. 
Gotcha. So what technologies really kind of lit you up? I'm assuming some of it was in JavaScript. Yeah, JavaScript. So I, I started working in JavaScript a little late. So my first foray into web was Java-based. And then uh, I did I did a little, surprisingly, people people find it surprising. I did a little bit of like Perl as well mm-hmm. in there in the in the early days. And then um, I, I learned I didn't like Perl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I like the language and I like like what it does for you. But every single time you open a Perl file, you never know what you wrote. You got to relearn everything. <laughs> Uh, so Ruby on Rails was kind of where uh, things took off for me. Um, but I was, I was part of the version one of the Ruby on Rails uh, uh, phenomenon. Oh, wow. You were in it before I was. Really? Yeah, I got in version 1.2, I think. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it was somewhere in the version 1. something range. It might have been 1.2. I don't remember. But I, it was definitely in the very early stages. Yeah, very cool. So uh, what was it then that appealed to you about like Ruby on Rails and JavaScript and, you know, some of these systems that were out there? Was, was it just oh, the flexibility? Was it the programming paradigm? Were there other things? The programming paradigm was one aspect of it. Um, definitely. Also, the, the flexibility. Uh, I had just found that prior to that, there was just a lot of boilerplate code that you had to write to get anything uh-huh. done. And, and I and I appreciate a lot of the high level, like where we've come so far with frameworks and languages. Right. I mean, I first in high school, I learned how to program in C before, you know, that was my second language uh-huh. after 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 basic. And I remember just how, how much you had to do to get even a tiny bit accomplished in C. And now in JavaScript, when you, you know, you write so much, you can get so much done with just a few lines of code. It's amazing. And so Ruby was that that sort of uh, first, uh, I got a taste of it with Java because Java was a higher level language, but it was still uh, like, you know, do a lot of stuff. It's very verbose language. Uh, But then once you got to Ruby, it was so elegant and easy to read. And the the standard libraries that came with the language, there was just so much already done for you. You just string it together and and you can get tons of work done. I just, I I felt, finally felt like I found um, something that I could be productive with. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, what what have you done in JavaScript that you're particularly proud of? Huh. Let's see. I mean, I built a lot of stuff in JavaScript. I like I said, I came, I got to the JavaScript world a little late. I think I started programming in JavaScript in 2000 and I want to say 2009. So when I first got into it, yeah, that's about there. Uh-huh. And then I, I really, um, I'll, I'm going to downplay my, my JavaScript skills. I think initially I wasn't very good at it, but, um, but, uh, based on now, when I look at back, back at some of my old code, it actually doesn't look too bad. I'm still kind of impressed with that. I had figured out <laughs> some of the stuff that I had figured out, but yeah, I started programming JavaScript. I built one of the startups that I worked at. It was this little startup called Siftio and they had, um, these, uh, little interactive game cubes. They had a TED talk back in 2008 about it, and that's what drew me to their to the company. Uh-huh. And uh, it was, it was a, um, a really interesting product. Uh, had a lot of uh, great applications for learning and for um, especially for uh, children with autism and other special needs. And that was a, a I, I kind of wanted to do something a little more meaningful with my life than work. And Dolby was like I would say the entertainment space, uh-huh. you know. And, uh, so I went to work there and, um, and a couple other companies that I worked prior to that were all in the entertainment space. I wanted to do something a little more meaningful. So there, when I worked there, I, I built uh, a lot of their web, 
uh, front end in JavaScript. Much of it was built in JavaScript on the front end and Ruby on Rails on the back end. Mm -hmm. And at that time, uh, MEC frameworks were just for JavaScript were just starting out. I think Backbone was the was the main one. And there was also uh, uh, what was it called? Um, is it called Spine? Not Spine. I can't remember the name of yeah, it now. Spine was built on top of Backbone. There was uh, Knockout. Knockout was the other one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yep. And you know, yep. a, 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 right around that same time, I mean, we had you on to talk about Meteor. Meteor. Yep. So. That was coming into the coming into the in, into focus. Then that was a little bit later, mm-hmm. um, I think. But, but yeah, like by the time Meteor came out, there was a but Angular was starting to become prolific as well. Yeah. React wasn't yet on the on the scene. So, yeah. well, what are you, what are you working on now? What I'm working on now. So, I mean, I've been at Hack Reactor for five years. I've been teaching here for four of those five years, and I've been head of curriculum for about a year and a half, maybe two mm-hmm. years of that time. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really just trying to figure out how to teach, uh, how to teach people effectively. There's, there are, there's a, there's these, um, meta patterns, uh, in, in that, that occur with teaching people how to program that, um, you know, every single time I do it, I get a little bit better at it, but there are, there are mental blocks that people have around learning, uh, concepts in JavaScript that, that are just challenging. And I'm, I find those really fascinating. I find the human brain an extremely interesting thing. And uh, I'm really just JavaScript and programming is more, is really just the, the medium by which I'm discovering how people's brains work. And that's what I love about it the most. It's a, it's a fun language because it's unlike Ruby, uh-huh. which I also love. I still use Ruby a lot. Um, you, I generally tend to use Ruby for writing command line uh, utilities. Uh-huh. But, um, JavaScript, what I love about JavaScript is that it, it doesn't have as much built into the language as Ruby does. And so it forces people to really engage with the core concepts of programming. Right. Yeah. So how do you design a curriculum that works well in JavaScript? That's a great question. It's, uh, one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that I think you need to keep, keep your focus on is like, what is your objective? And, and in order to understand what your objective is, you also have to have a the, the best word that I can use to describe it is a is the curriculum arc. But there's more of a learning arc. Like you have to understand what sequence to tell people things about. So one of the things that I feel is lacking in much of the material that's out there on the internet for learning how to program is that they teach uh, most most um, tutorials teach are topical based and they, and the topics are ordered in a, in a very general sort of like, we're going to learn about this thing and then we're going to learn about this thing and then we're going to learn about this thing with not a lot of thought put into the progression of those things. And sometimes like, for example, objects and arrays and functions are like building blocks to the JavaScript programming language and they're building blocks to most high level languages. In fact, and they're taught as isolated uh, modules in se- in some sequence, and uh, in reality, they're they're very interrelated. And if you break them down into smaller pieces and then weave them in in just the right way, you can actually get a more effective outcome than if you teach them in isolation from each other in sequence. Uh, like here's everything that you need to know about functions, and then here's everything that you need to know about objects, right? But if you if you somehow broke it down into small little pieces, here's a tiny piece of an object, a factoid that you need to know, and here's a here's a function, and here's a little 
single factoid. And together, these two things solve this problem by, by showing people how it solves particular problems. I think you get a deeper learning, like your, your, path, your neural pathways uh, are more solidified by um, showing people uh, a concept that solves a problem as opposed to showing them a thing that they need to memorize as a fact. Right. And so I think a lot, a lot of the tutorials out there are more fact-based. Here are things, here are all the factoids that you need to know about objects in order to use them effectively. Uh-huh. Please learn them. And we'll give you some exercises to reinforce them, but those exercises are just point, pointless. They are there to help you memorize. They don't actually help you solve real problems that you would encounter, and which is what programming languages are there. They're designed to help us solve problems, right? Right. Yeah, they're based more on concepts than actual uh, practices, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I generally try and structure my curriculum around where we're aiming to solve a particular problem and or or learn a particular technique through solving a problem. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes I try not to use problems that are too contrived because when they're contrived, again, it's like, why would I ever do this is the question that pops up with uh-huh. students who are new, you know. So I try to avoid those scenarios. Yeah, I hear you there. It was funny because. The reason I wound up being a computer engineering major instead of a computer science major, and I was actually going to go into IT and not do programming, was because all of the uh, exercises we did in college were all so contrived that I was just like, yeah, programming is kind of a joke. And I wound up running into a real problem I could solve later on, and that's that's where it was, oh, oh, I get this. I see where this is helpful. I see where this applies mm-hmm. You know, this right. is this is kind of cool and kind of fun. And oh, look, I won because this problem is no longer a problem. Right, right. So, yeah, personal personal productivity is another area where I think that um, programming really helps uh, people become better at it. Like, if you can do your job more effectively and do it faster, then like you know, most people want that. Most people want to spend less time working and on, on rudimentary and mundane tasks and more fun, more time working on creative fun aspects of their job. Yep. Absolutely. And there's, there's no shortage of those kinds of tasks when it comes to programming. It is so true. It is so true. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been trying to just find ways to automate my own stuff and, you know, just get that off my plate. And so I definitely see that appeal as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do I go solve the hard problems that give me the payoff instead of the, you know, doing the the monkeying around or the boilerplate stuff that doesn't give me the payoff that I'm looking for? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, uh, before we get to picks, my next question is, uh, if people want to see what you're doing these days... um, Are you on Twitter? Do you have a blog? GitHub? Where where do they go? Yeah. Yeah, I, I um, Twitter is my primary place where I post interesting stuff about what I do every day and sort of like interesting discoveries that I make along the way. Yeah, follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is just my name, Fred Zerdon. Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, 
freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Yeah, um, I recently... Just recently, let me pull up the name of it. It's called Navalia. It is a, it's essentially a uh, scripting tool for Chrome. It lets you do almost anything you want in Chrome. It's primarily used for end-to-end testing. Well, one of its main use cases is for end-to-end testing, but you can do all sorts of fun stuff with it. Essentially, uh, scrape websites that have that are super JavaScript heavy because it's using real Chrome. It opens up, opens up Chrome and it lets you script Chrome. So you can do things like find an element on the page, put focus on it, then type some stuff into it, push some buttons. It's great for testing. You can do screenshots with it. It essentially ha- opens up an entire API for Chrome and uh, lets you script the actions inside Chrome. And itself is itself a, a, a programming language that um, is based on async await as well, which is one of my which is probably my next my next pick. My new favorite tech stack is uh, well for, on the server side is Koa, which mm-hmm. isn't that new. People people have been using it now for a while. But what I love about it is that it has uh, native async await support, which is the latest and greatest ES7 feature that I'm really into. Uh, It makes for writing JavaScript code very, there's no more, I mean, promises are cool. Promises got us out of callback hell, but promises look very sequential and there's a lot, the syntax gets in the way. Like there's a lot of structural aspects that you need to follow. It looks sequential, but you know, you always have these then functions that are just getting in the way of your code. What I love about async await is that it's literally one keyword and you put the expression behind it and that thing becomes the asynchronous thing that you're waiting for. And so your code looks extremely synchronous, even though it's, even though it's not synchronous at all. Right. Yeah. So I'd say that's my pick number two. I'd say the other pick that I'm really into is, I mean, I love, uh, I'm a big fan of React, but Vue is my new, my new favorite uh, front-end framework. And one of the things that I love about it is that it embraces observables, which is another ES7 feature that I'm really excited about. It's, um, it doesn't come with native built-in observable support, but it has an official plugin that gives you uh, observables uh, behavior all built into the framework. Yeah, makes sense. I'm going to shout out about a couple of things here myself. So uh, one of the things that I found, um, I've been learning React, and I'm probably going to be learning Vue here over the next little while um, because we started two new shows, one's on React and one's on Vue. Go figure. Mm-hmm. So the React developer tools for Chrome is just a plug-in. It's mm-hmm. really great. Um, I'm really, really uh, liking that uh, just to help me figure out what's going on with React. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to pick that. Um, Pluralsight has also been a really great resource for learning React. And so I'm mm-hmm. going to shout out about them. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, just, just a lot of cool stuff out there with a lot of these frameworks. Um, I've looked at Vue. It, it, it kind of reminds me of somewhere between Angular 1 and React. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't know exactly how to pinpoint it more than that, but, it, it has a lot of sim- the simplicity that both of those have um, and just enough of the opinions to make it nice to use. 
So mm-hmm. anyway, um, it's it's been kind of fun to just look at it while I'm you know coming up to speed on React. So yeah, so we've got those going, and the shows are React Roundup, and you can go to reactroundup.com, and viewsonview.com. Um, now we're recording before the first episode actually launches. Um, mm-hmm. They'll come out two weeks from when we record this, but this episode is scheduled to come out in like three months. So uh, folks, definitely be aware they're out. There are a number of episodes available, so if you're interested in either of those, go check them out. That's great. What was the website again for the view? Uh, views on views on view. Awesome. And it's That's just great. Yeah, just conversations about view. One other thing, I guess I should shout out about one of my co-hosts on JavaScript Jabber and on Views on View, Joe Eames. He's also on Adventures in Angular. Anyway, he's putting together with a few other people uh, the Framework Summit. And so if you're interested in JavaScript frameworks, uh, this one's going to be kind of uh, general purpose plus some framework-specific sessions. And we talked a lot about it on Adventures in Angular. We're probably going to do an episode on it on JavaScript Jabber. So if you're interested in sort of the wider world of frameworks or you're looking to try different things, different ways, I highly recommend you check out that conference as well. And it'll be in Park City, Utah, which is uh, up where they have like the Sundance uh, Film Festival and things like that. So um, it's also where the Olympic team does their training on the off season. So anyway. um, Sounds fantastic. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. All right. Well, thank you, Fred, for uh, joining me on this show. And, uh, yeah, if people are looking yeah, to get into code, do you want to give an elevator pitch for Hack Reactor or? Yeah, we are a, um, we are a 13 week program, um, here based here in San Francisco. It's an intense program. It's six days a week, uh, 11 hours a day. It's pretty intensive. Plus there's, uh, about, um, three to six weeks of pre-course that you need to do. And then we, uh, have a new postgraduate program as well. That's helping people, um, with some specific job uh, job readiness skills. So the combination uh, between those is it's about uh, 24 weeks uh, of your life. And it's one of the most amazing 24 weeks of your life that you will ever experience. Uh, people come out of here, change people. And it's one of the things that I love about my job is, is the rewarding aspect of it. We're changing lives on a daily basis, helping them transition to new careers uh, or, or reignite their existing software careers. It's, it's a really great place to be. So, yeah, and there's a huge demand for software developers anyway, so, yeah. There is, there is, yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been super fun chatting. Yeah, you too. Uh, we'll definitely have to follow up, see about getting you on JavaScript Jabber or something. Okay, great. Thanks. Yep, talk to you later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.